Hi everyone, I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself. So I chat to all sorts of wellbeing experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. So before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about Pappy Health, who, if you are a regular listener, you will know that they are sponsoring the podcast currently. So what I love about Peppy Health is that they have gathered all the best practitioners, people that we may need on our journey as parents, particularly new parents, and they've fully vetted them. They've made sure that they have all the highest qualifications and they have put all these amazing practitioners in one place on their site doing all the hard work for us. I know sometimes a tendency, I know this was true for me, was to wait until things got really bad before reaching out for help and I made a commitment to myself never to do that again and if that's you and you're resonating with that, have a look at Peppy Health. You know, it's really important we have these expert practitioners out there ready and willing to help us. And so often it's just the first step in asking for help, whether that's a therapist or could be as practical as a lactation consultant or even a sleep consultant. I would really encourage you to think about this. What do you need help with? And could a first step be asking for that help? Could you just have a look on Peppy Health, see what might be available? And if you do decide to book someone to help you out, you can use the code PEPPY, P-E-P-P-Y, 20 for 20% off. So on to this week's episode. It is with the lovely Nicola Moore, who is a nutritionist and wellbeing expert. She's also been a part of the senior academic team at the Institute of Optimum Nutrition, which is probably one of the best schools of its kind in the UK, if not in Europe. So as you know, if you've listened to the podcast, I am fascinated by how what we eat makes us feel. So Nicola and I chat about what we as busy, often tired, often overwhelmed mums can do to help ourselves in terms of what we're putting into our bodies. A lot of the clients I work with feel like they should be perfect and they feel that they should be striving for something better and they're almost apologetic about what they're doing. So I feel like I'm on a bit of a mission to fight against that. But also, how can we make it really practical and really easy? I don't know about you, but I have not got time to be thinking about fatty or fussy diets. And Nicola's brilliant that she debunks a lot of those diets and myths for us. People don't necessarily get this message that every food has a bit of everything in it, pretty much. So sugar can be packaged up in different ways. There are different types of sugar that are not good. So I hope you really enjoyed the episode. If you did, please rate, review and share it. So Nicola, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. And I was just thinking before you arrived, I looked back at past episodes. So I wanted to see who the last nutritionist was. And it's actually been ages. It was Amelia Freer. And I think it was nearly eight or nine months ago. 
So I know I'm super keen for this type of conversation again, and hopefully everyone listening is too. Just tell us a little bit about you. You've got three children, haven't you? Yes. How old are they? So I've got three children, three boys, 12, nine and six. So I've got one at secondary school, and we were just chatting before about the trials and tribulations of secondary school and all that that's brought, and one in junior school and one in infant. There's a few years between each of them, so... And three boys, and you're working as a highly successful and respected nutritionist. Yes, well... How do you manage your energy? Well, I manage my energy by really putting some effort into looking after myself, I have to say... And some weeks are better than others. And sometimes I am absolutely exhausted. And one of the things that I do think, and I've spoken about this before, is the fact that I think our generation has been brought up to think we can have it all. So we were one of the first generations where we were encouraged to have a career, have a family, you can do it. But I think that there are costs sometimes with that. And I don't think it's as easy as people think and the wearing of different hats and the juggling and the multitasking and the constant running around can be really exhausting. So I do work hard to think about what I'm eating. And I do try very hard to make sure I go to bed semi on time at night. And What time is that? I think ideally I need to be in bed by 10 o'clock. I don't always do that, especially now that my older son is older and he's up later. And that feeling of needing to have that time on my own in the evening has evaporated now so you know when they're younger and you put them to bed yeah. and you've got that lovely period got of time 7 30 yeah. till sort of 10 as you say on my own yeah that period of time has evaporated and of course I don't want him off on his own doing stuff I want him with me you know watching something that's suitable for us both to watch on television or something like that but 10 o'clock I try to get into bed and because sometimes I'm a bit of a worrier I normally read before I go to bed And I'll try to read a book that is not going to rock any literary giant world or anything. It's just like an easy read, happy book. Since having children again, I've not been able to deal with any kind of trauma, any kind of like sad story or anything like that. So that's what I try to do to look after myself. So food and sleep. Food and sleep. We're going to talk about both of those. Yes. But I was just interested when you said you're a bit of a warrior. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Do you have anxiety or is it more sort of... What goes on for you? Well, I'm the sort of person who can feel incredibly tired all day long. I feel really tired and exhausted. So you just had a really busy few days. And then I go to bed and I feel really tired. But the moment I lie down, I start thinking about things. And I then find that I'm all clenched up and anxious. Sometimes I have big work things on and I'm thinking about that. And my mind is stimulated. That's quite different. But I, and I don't think I'm alone because I've spoken to friends about this. I will suddenly start thinking about a terrible scenario, something awful happening with the boys, worrying about them. And that is the thing that can get me quite het up. And before I know it, I'm wide awake. Mm, I think lots and lots of people listening will relate to that so what do you do well I might turn the light back on and start reading again try and take my mind off it or I quite like meditation prayer anything sort of spiritual I don't subscribe to any one particular type of religion but I'm quite spiritual so sometimes I feel like just giving my worries away and praying that everything will be okay actually for me that works really really well yeah me too yeah I don't pray to God I just sometimes say, I can't handle this. Yes, My yeah. mind can't handle this. Take it from me. And I visualise, really like focus on a visualisation of giving something yes. to the sky yes. or to the sea. I'll have to do that hundreds of times, you know, because my mind keeps wanting to come back in. Yes, yes. But it does really work for me. Yeah. It really works. Yeah. And sometimes I'll just try and think of something else 
or sometimes I just carry on worrying and then eventually fall asleep. I mean, life is difficult sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. You know, generally speaking, I think I feel in a really happy place. I've got a nice home. I've got three lovely boys. They don't fight. I feel really lucky that they get on really nicely. They're quite mellow. And I've got a supportive husband and all of that. So I really don't have anything that I should be complaining about. (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, we could do a whole other podcast about that. (laughs) I think those are the externals, aren't they? And it's so different what happens internally on the inside, as you said. It's very different. You know, I know lots of people who tick all those outside boxes and yet, you know. We talked about food and sleep. So obviously your area of expertise is as a nutritionist. Mm. So let's talk about food first. The first thing I'm interested in is how did you find this path of being a nutritionist? Is it something you always loved or did you, like Amelia, have an experience of being treated by a nutritionist and then fall in love with it? When I was younger I had no particular interest in food and was quite a fussy eater but I always had digestive problems for as long as I can remember I had tummy aches I used to have tummy aches before school and I was just a tummy ache person but nothing was ever really done about that sort of bit of an IBS diagnosis or whatever and just constantly plagued with tummy aches I suppose and I remember having Saturday jobs when I was in my teenage years And I wouldn't eat all day Saturday because I was so worried about bloating and then not being able to wear what I wanted to wear going out that night and all of this stuff. So I was, you know, constantly in the back. Did you have an eating disorder? No, not at all. No, no, no. It was more about the pain of the tummy ache and the bloating. So I had identified that because I didn't know when it would ever happen, for me, if I just didn't eat very much on a Saturday... I'd feel quite safe that I'd be okay. Wear a slinky dress. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember being starving or anything. I just remember just being aware of it. But no, I never had any issues with food or anything like that or worrying about it. And then I got a little bit into reading about the power of food and how it influences the body. And at school, I really liked human biology. And I remember learning about the digestive system, being really, really interested in the digestive system, particularly when I was at school. And then I suppose later on in life, I became more and more unwell with digestive problems. I got a diagnosis eventually of endometriosis after years. Can you tell everyone what that is, just in case? Yeah, so it's a female hormone condition. Well, it's more of an immune system disorder really now, is now the thinking around it. But what happens with endometriosis is the lining of your womb, which sheds every month, is made up of particular types of endometrial cells. And they are only designed to live there in your womb and they are responsive to hormone messages over the month. And when you have your period is when those cells are shed at the end of each month. But with endometriosis, those cells are actually growing in other parts of the body. So where they shouldn't be. And they're also still responsive to hormone messages. And when you have your period, there's an inflammation that will then happen and issues where those cells are growing. Painful periods is very common, isn't it? Oh yeah. yeah. Painful periods is very, very common. And endometriosis is massively underdiagnosed, massively underdiagnosed. So there's a statistic, I think it takes between seven to nine years to get a diagnosis. And it's normally when women are actually trying to get pregnant and having issues with their fertility. So what happened to me as a teenager was I had incredibly painful periods where I would probably vomit usually the first day of the month, terribly period pains. So I'd need a day or two off each month from school 
So, of course, I went to the doctor and the doctor put me on the contraceptive pill. pill that's what they, do they still do that? Yeah, I understand that they do. So I've had some teenage clients who have had a similar... Of course, if it's hormonal, it's not, not going to help. No, it's a sticky plaster and it's potentially undermining other things to do with hormones. It's not the best way to approach it as far as I can see. But doctors aren't nutritionists. No. So uh, they have the tools they have, I right? suppose what would be nice is a little bit more investigation you know, rather than just blanket putting a young girl on the contraceptive pill. But that was what happened to me. And then... How yeah. old were you, just for context? Oh, God. Well, I was at secondary school. It was before GCSEs and things like 14, that. 14, 15. Yeah, yeah, I'd say about that. And so it's just this catalogue of things where you wouldn't have looked at me and thought there's a sickly, unwell person. You just have things going on and all the time the digestion. Oh, you've got IBS, you know. Or... Then eventually I wound up in a job that wasn't me. And I went traveling, got really inspired by food when I was traveling. Then when I came back, went back to my boring old job. And I just thought there's got to be more to life than this. There has got to be more to life. And I saw someone on a train reading a book called The Optimum Nutrition Bible. Wow, which is like the Bible. Yeah, well, yeah. And I looked at that book and it had a very memorable cover. And I thought, you know what? I'm really interested in nutrition and I'm really interested in the body. And I'm going to buy that book. Bought the book, became totally immersed. And in the back of the book was details of how to sign up to become a nutritional therapist. And I thought, oh, that'd be great. I'll just do a few weekends of training. <laughs> Four years, isn't it? Four years later. You know, I went for the open day and I just thought, no, this is it. I am changing my trajectory of my career. What is your why? What was your passion then? And is it the same now? I absolutely love nutrition. I absolutely love the human body and I love learning and I love helping people. And also I was always very creative at school and much more into the arts. Other than the science part, it's a bit weird how it's all worked out. And I always thought I'd be an artist, but I never pursued that at all. I don't know why, but being in the kitchen and creating with food is something that I get a lot of pleasure from. So it's very fulfilling. Mm. Um, and what is it that you love about nutrition? Is it seeing the changes in people yeah. or is it the power it's of food? The, it really is the power of how you can enable somebody to change their health trajectory. You know, it really is. And I don't think nutrition is the be all and end all, having said that. So when I was first into nutrition, I thought it was the absolute answer to everything. And now I've completely changed my view on that. I think that there are so many things that you can draw in and everybody's life is completely different and everyone's physiology is completely different. So I was studying back in 2000 when nutrition wasn't trendy. And I was actually a bit of a weirdo and a freak, you know, in the office when I'd be going in with my salads and stuff and everyone was eating their meal deals from boots with their bright pink mousses that came with it from a lab or whatever and I was eating food from the earth I remember eating seeds one day and being just almost laughed out of the office you know I felt like such an idiot but it's not like that now but you know what I've seen change over the years is because of social media I think and all of this stuff nutrition moving into something of such unwieldy perfection with all of the beautiful images and the beautifully choreographed and staged lovely pictures that I love, love looking at. And they do, they inspire me as a food lover, but you know, it's slightly gone beyond something that I think is attainable for real people. And that, so a lot of the clients I work with, they're not feeling well, but also they're confused about their relationship with food and they feel like they should be perfect and they feel that they should be striving for something better. And they're almost apologetic about what they're 
doing. So I feel like I'm on a bit of a mission to fight against that a little bit, I have to say. What does that mission look like? What would you say to anyone out there who's listening Um, who relates to that? Yeah, I would say that perfection, we don't even know what that is. What does that even mean? But when I take a photograph of food to put on Instagram, I'm taking, because I've put something together and I think that is showing a balanced meal or that's showing an example of something that I was talking to a client about the other day. So it's a good example of something to look at. But of course, I'm not eating that way all of the time. You know, it's not beautifully put on a plate where you can see every single element so that I'm doing it as an educational tool, I suppose. But deprivation, depriving yourself of food, having anxiety around food is not good for your health. Mm-hmm. I think, and, I, and I was, yeah, and when I was first working with clients very, very quickly, I identified that people were coming to me who, at the time, there was this big thing about something called Candida Albicans, and there was a diet called the Anti-Candida Diet, which was a diet... Candida is in the bacteria. Candida is yeast that we all have, but it resides within all of us. There are some situations where candida or other yeasts or bacteria that mimic candida, very similar, can make you feel unwell. So it definitely can be an issue for people. But there was this big thing about having this diet where you starve out the candida. So you stripped out everything from your diet. And I was working with clients, you know, for my first weeks in practice, seeing people who had been on these really rigid diets for years. And of course, losing weight, feeling really unwell, thyroid disorders, hair falling out. And I just thought immediately, this is not the way I want to work. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized we're all being trained by hearsay. We're not critically evaluating evidence. We are not looking at research. We're listening to one vocal figure in the domain who is saying this is the way. You're shouting quite loud. Yeah, and everyone is like, oh, okay, I will follow along. See, I always find it so interesting too because then that was the big diet, you know, as yes, you say, and yeah. I've not even heard of that. No, no, good. So, so there's no, there's, but that's what I mean. It's like these trends. And yeah. I'm, what I'm interested in is two things. What are the trends now that you want to debunk? Mm. And what are the impact on our bodies? You know, thinking yeah. about mums yes. you know, and tiredness. Yeah. And what is the impact when we decide to, I don't know, you tell me what the big yes, ones are. Okay. I see clean eating. And- yeah, that's right. So I think the other thing to say is we've got to be careful about how we position everything. It's a really responsible job being in nutrition, I think, at the moment, because you don't want to go so far back from everything that you say, eat whatever you want, because we do have to work hard to eat a healthy diet, a bit like we have to exercise. Well, that's the other movement. So is this intuitive eating, anti-diet? So it'd be good to get your view on that too. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. The things that I have noticed in the more recent years have been tools that were identified the low FODMAP diet is a really big one so if you come across that that's no. often prescribed that's I don't engage in it no 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 that's which pre- is a good thing but so, it means my knowledge no is no, not- no that's, so the low FODMAP diet is often prescribed to people who have IBS it's likely to be prescribed by a dietitian who is trained in a low FODMAP diet approach so the low FODMAP diet refers to FODMAP stands for different types of carbohydrates and foods and you are taking these particular fibers out of the diet in order to prevent those fibers feeding bacteria in the gut that could be triggering symptoms. So that's the whole philosophy. But like the anti-candida diet, you remove the perceived food source of the bacteria. And in doing so, you reduce their ability to develop and grow. But when they eat and enjoy the foods you're eating, they are then releasing gases afterwards and it's the gases that seem to cause things like constipation diarrhea and so on so certainly for some people taking some of those foods out can bring relief and symptom it's not getting to the underlying cause so you know you might see an initial relief from symptoms but the whole point of the low FODMAP diet is you should then 
absolutely start reintroducing the foods back in after a period of time in a very sensible way because it's very unlikely that all of the foods that are not permitted are going to be a problem for you it's likely that only a handful are going to be a potential problem but the risk and what I see with the low FODMAP diet is people just wheel it out have the low FODMAP diet people then go on it they stay on it for years and it really negatively impacts the whole microbiome as a result because it's so woefully low in the fibers that we need Mm. for our bacteria to thrive in the gut so that's a big one that I think is a misunderstood diet and it's too glibly handed out and it's not getting to the underlying cause so that's one and then you've got avoiding gluten avoiding dairy avoiding sugar all of these things what about sugar-free because I did do a sugar-free yeah and sustain it yes well look sugar isn't great refined sugar refined sugar, yeah people don't necessarily get this message that every food has a bit of everything in it pretty much so sugar can be packaged up in different ways there are different types of sugar and like say it's the refined sugar that is put into a lot of the foods that are processed I suppose that are not good I do have a worry when I see youngsters honestly the corner shop near me the kids going into that corner shop after school from secondary school with money buying reams and reams of sweets and drinks and stuff every day and I'm thinking my god you are heading towards diabetes you're heading towards hormone calamity obesity you name it so sugar is not good but I think we can take it too far and become really anxious and a lot of the time I'm saying to clients you know I'd prefer clients to just have two or three really big nice satisfying meals in a day and if they need a full stop at the end of that by having something sweet then have it because then you feel satisfied you feel complete and then you can go for a good few hours without eating snacking we know now is not so good for things like inflammation which is at the heart of a lot of the work I'm doing because I'm helping people aren't feeling well and inflammation is at the heart of all conditions of mental health as well as you know physical so have something at the end of your meal if it puts that full stop on it and you feel satisfied but if you can work with someone to really balance their meals in a really nice healthy way with some proteins and natural fats and fiber a couple of squares of dark chocolate at the end happy days lovely yeah <laughs> and there's one more I want to ask you about which is five two Mainly because my husband's just started doing it. Yeah, okay. Oh, I've just talked about this because I've started doing a little Instagram thing on a Friday and I did intermittent fasting last week. So, well, the 5-2 diet is the concept of reducing calories for a period of time and then eating more calories or having no calories at all so not eating for a period of time and then he eating. does 500 a day two days a week yeah. so my experience of the 5-2 diet is that it's not a tool that I use in clinic ever really but I've got a lot of people who have used the 5-2 diet now it works much better with men why is that Because men don't have the hormonal fluctuations that women have. Women's hormones are, throughout the month, increasing, decreasing, depending on what hormone you're talking about. And the process of that means that, say if you're at a period of the month where you're producing quite a lot of the hormone estrogen, that has an influence on things like your immune system, but also there's quite a lot of processing required to detoxify the estrogen once you've manufactured it. If you are going through periods of deprivation of calories, and especially if in your quest to keep your calorie level down, you're choosing foods that are 
maybe low fat foods, then you've got the risk of it feeling like the rug has been pulled out from under you with regards to your energy and so on. And if there's any kind of thyroid disorder, I've noticed that women who are really trying to really tail back on their calories are finding that it's not good for their thyroid in terms of their thyroid symptoms. And it's also quite a difficult diet to maintain. So say you're a busy working mum or whatever, to start faffing around with counting calories. Guys started weighing everything on the scales. I know, you see, and this is against my whole... Same. I don't subscribe to calories. I don't believe we need to... Calories don't mean what we thought they meant. So depending on the type of food you eat, high-calorie foods coming from carbohydrates perform completely differently in the body to high calorie foods. Isn't it like an avocado has the same amount of calories as a Mars bar? So on paper, you'd be like, oh, well, they're both the same. But clearly, obviously, one is going to do great things and support your body and one is going to not. Yeah, I mean, they've looked at groups of people having the same number of calories, but coming from different food sources. And they've monitored waist to hip circumference, blood chemistries, fat levels, all of that. And it's from those sorts of studies that they've realised that actually calories perform completely differently in the body depending on the type of food you eat so calories don't mean what we thought they meant yeah I tend to think about I think I've said this before on the podcast but I tend to think before I eat something I don't have a perfect diet but I'll think what am I eating that's helping my body yeah so simple so if I'm eating some crisps I'll eat the crisps but I'll know actually they're not really going to do much for me whereas if I have an avocado or some fruit or something I think oh actually I think that's probably going to I don't know what it does I don't know how it works but that's my simplistic way and I just try and think I'm going to eat more stuff that I think does something in my body than stuff that's just empty calories you are doing a great job there well, it's very simplistic it's, it's, but it's very, all I can handle because otherwise it gets too complicated well, what I say to clients a lot of the time is let's focus on what we add in to the diet rather than focusing on what we're going to take out because in the back of my mind in all honesty there are foods that I'm trying to crowd out of somebody's diet so there are foods depending on like what sugar processed yeah, foods yeah absolutely bread. and if someone has horrendous digestive problems or skin problems then I might be thinking do you know what gluten and dairy they're possibly not their friend at the moment not forever but at the moment while we try and bring down the inflammation maybe we want to crowd those foods out but you don't necessarily have to have that big conversation or right from tomorrow you are free of dairy if you coach someone correctly and you're helping them engage with food and have the connection between how food makes them feel and have a positive relationship and feel excited and engaged with getting into the kitchen and having something very simple crisps with a dip you know so add make, make in, some hummus add, and add also i'm really in, yeah. conscious that jesse's watching me yes yes and when guy started this five two and he started weighing out his blinking spinach on the scales mm. so can you do that outside he mm. was like what I said I genuinely don't want Jesse to see you wearing your food I think it's a really weird message <laughs> so I make I know. it like well, hide what he's oh, doing so in our house we don't have a worry about that so much but what me and my husband are constantly having to say to each other is get off your phone I mean we've got a boy now who's in secondary school I don't want him thinking that it's normal for someone to be present in the room but not present as yeah, a human because yeah. you're not um, if you're messaging someone you're with them you're not with yeah the that's that you're right with. yeah so um it's interesting the responsibilities we have to try and think about with the children isn't yeah, it yeah for sure but I think for women what can work better than the 5-2 diet is doing something called time-restricted eating and that is something that I do see as being quite beneficial so this yeah. is about giving yourself a window of opportunity overnight where you don't eat or drink 
you can have water. So say if you could give yourself, say, 12 hours overnight, so finish your dinner at eight and don't have breakfast until eight the next morning. If you've had a nice 12-hour window overnight, there's some really interesting research that's being done looking at this and the impact of having that break on gut function, body inflammation, weight management, energy, circadian rhythm performance. Mm. Because, of course, I guess in the wild, back in the day, that would have been the rhythm. I think that we have, and I think this is very relevant for mums, especially new mums, we have access to food, don't we, all of the time. And, again, this is how nutrition changes, and you have to be prepared to say, what I knew then has now changed. I'm going, actually, to change my view on this. But when I was training, we were told give everyone three meals a day and two snacks. Don't ever let them get to the point of hunger. Then their blood sugar's dropping and there's just, you're opening up a world of pain for that person. But now with more understanding about the microbiome and the gut and the break in eating that's needed for the gut to be able to perform optimally, which then improves absorption of food, they're saying, you know, actually, no, what we should be doing is having really good windows of time between our meals and a period overnight when we don't eat as well. What I love about the time-restricted eating in that way is even to a certain extent, you don't have to worry about what you eat during the day if yeah. you're having this window. I think of time I do overnight. that. I didn't know that's what it was called, but I'm doing that. I mean, I eat at like six o'clock. We all eat together yes. at six o'clock when Guy gets yeah, home. Yeah. And then that's it really. I don't really have anything again. I mean, for me, when I first started doing it, what became apparent to me was that I was drinking quite a lot of wine in the evening. Oh, I see. I don't drink. It's easy. Okay. So I I might have a herbal tea if I'm feeling rock and roll. (laughs) I did like, and I do like a glass of wine. I like a glass of wine with food. I don't drink a huge amount, but it was very, very good for me to think about how I was eating and drinking because it made it a bit clearer to me that I was probably drinking more. Considering I look after myself so well, I was probably drinking more than is good for me with all of my little digestive problems. What was it giving you, do you think? Well, I just think without drinking in the evening, I feel much better in the morning. You know, I feel much brighter. And what do you think the drink was giving you? When you realised you were having more than you... It was total emotional release. But what's really interesting is that, and this has been going on for a while... I don't drink alcohol at home at all now, really, unless we have guests coming over or something. But I just have sparkling mineral water in a wine glass. Now, it's the act of drinking from the wine glass that's giving me the relaxing feeling, not actually the thing in it. I can get just as much as that, oh, it's the end of the day. That ritual. Yeah. And that, for me, is a very stark example of the emotional connection that we all have with food. It's a bit like a cup of tea. And I'm often talking to clients about cups of tea and identifying that their cup of tea is almost like them having a hug. Oh, 100% for me. I'd be like, I'm just going to have a cup of tea. <laughs> and it is like that, I yeah. think, from when we were younger, instead of getting a... Well, well, I, saw don't get a hug I saw from my mum do it. I saw yeah. my mum say, let's have a cup yes, of tea. Yes, yes, yeah. It's a really British thing as yes, well, isn't it? Yes, yes. I was really interested when you mentioned food and mood. Mm. in the same yes. sentence. I think you said it next to each other. So I wondered if we could explore that because lots of the mums listening will be tired. They may be having some low-level anxiety or like you were sharing, worrying thoughts, maybe even intrusive thoughts during the day mm. or just be feeling a bit off, yeah. a bit sluggish. So how is what we're eating affecting our mood and our physical energy and what can we do now clearly everyone's different but are there some simple things that you see time and time again that you could share to help the help anyone listening who relates yeah I think the first thing to say is that it's important to understand and this could be a very useful thing to understand what 
you and I eat today is going to affect our food choices and energy later on in today. So what we've had for breakfast, say, is going to affect our energy and food choices later on today, but also going on tomorrow and to the day beyond. So what you're eating over the course of one day is influencing patterns of behaviour over the next few days. So if you can give yourself two or three days where you think, you know, even if I just do this for two or three days, maybe I'll feel a bit better. And see how I feel. And not expecting that instant gratification that I think we're sometimes looking for. That's number one. I'd say that the simplest way to start trying to help yourself is to maybe think about what's going on with what you eat first thing, your breakfast, Mm. whatever time that is. What do you have for breakfast? I'm quite a phases person, so I'll have an obsession for a while and then I'll move on to something else. So at the moment, I'm back into a phase that I find myself in about once a year, which is a particular toast that I like with avocado and roast chicken. Wow. So it's a random breakfast. It's not what I thought you were going to say. What did you think I was going to say? Porridge, seeds, I don't know. (laughs) Not avocado and roast chicken. (laughs) But when when I'm in my avocado and roast chicken phase, I could eat roast chicken and avocado for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Like, I'll go for it when I start really fancying that. So I often have for breakfast something that you could easily have for lunch. Or I might go through a phase where I like some granola or something with some frozen blueberries and some nuts and extra nuts on. I'm normally thinking about the protein because if you can get some protein and some good natural fats in and some fibre as well first thing in the morning, it does help to keep you full and prevents those cravings. What you have for breakfast influences your blood glucose levels into the afternoon. So your breakfast choice has an impact on, say, that three o'clock dip where you might want a cup of tea and then interesting so if you're feeling like at that three o'clock you just want chocolate Mm. look at what you're having for breakfast absolutely interesting yeah yes but how do you design your morning because what I see in a lot of you know not that I talk to clients about their food a lot but what I see a lot when I chat about this sort of thing is mornings are so blinking hectic yeah and often I feel like it's grabbing something how does someone design that morning what do you do to make sure you can presumably you're not roasting the chicken no I'm not roasting And can I say, I am not a perfect person here. There is a nice butcher near me and they do do a nice roasted chicken that's pre-roasted. So you're buying that. So I am buying that. And just cutting a bit off. Absolutely. And then I am stuffing it in my face because I'm enjoying it so much. So I mean, you know, a bit of salt and pepper on top. Lovely. What I'm tending to do more frequently with clients, and this has been a pattern over the last year or so, is with those sorts of women, we're looking more at, well, what's your morning routine like? And do you need to be rushing to eat really first thing? If I'm saying to somebody, well, maybe, you know, we could push your breakfast back a little bit, make it more satisfying, make it more of a filling brunch type thing. This doesn't work for everybody, of course, but what you might be doing then is eating a bigger meal at that point, which is then keeping you going for a bit longer. So in clinic, what I'm tending to do at the moment with quite a few people is we're looking at slightly changing their perception of what does breakfast look like? What does breakfast even mean for that person? If you've been up through the night with a baby, that's a completely different animal. I mean, when you're dealing with someone who's sleep deprived, I had a son who did not sleep for months and months and months and months and months and months and months. months. You know, I thought it was never going to end. That's a completely different thing. And you've got so many hormonal influences going on there and impacts on circadian rhythm it's about fighting fire and damage limitation and helping somebody to just remain nutritionally replete during those especially if you're breastfeeding so that's a different thing but say you've got someone whose children are a bit older or whatever and 
You don't need to rush to be having your breakfast when your kids have their breakfast or before your kids get up or whatever, unless you're starving hungry, unless that works for you, get the protein in. So what I tend to do, do all the morning stuff, get everyone off to school, come back. And then before my working day starts, then I have my breakfast. So I'm having it more about 9.30 kind of time. Mm. That's what so I'm So we talked about the, the three days and thinking about giving ourselves longer to experiment mm. with new food choices, mm. talked about the importance of breakfast. Mm. What is some other simple things like that that we yeah. can think about? And is this in regards to energy, like energy and mental yeah. health? So thinking about where's my protein coming from is absolutely key. So protein would be meat, fish, eggs, nuts and seeds, lentils, beans, frozen peas, shellfish, beans, anything like that. So asking where's the protein coming from. Protein would help keep someone full, but also it helps with these amino acids that break down products of protein that are important for brain health. Other things to add in would be some good fats. So that would be avocados, but olive oil, walnut oil, nuts and seeds again, but good quality meat, fish, eggs, those are all some natural fats. They provide quite a good energy source for the cell, but they also help with cell communication. So if you think about mental health or any kind of what's going on with me and you at this moment is all of our cells are they're listening out for messages from hormones, nervous system, all sorts of things. Billions of them. Yeah. And each of our cells has a a membrane on its outside, which is made of fat. And so an omega-3 fats, for example, found in fish and walnuts and green leafy vegetables, those fats in the cell will help to keep the cell wall nice and fluid and able to listen out for messages. So it helps with communication. So if you're looking at mental health, you know, omega-3 fats is a really important one to consider. And we're often deficient, aren't we? Yeah, I see that a lot in testing. So I do quite a lot of blood testing for nutrient deficiencies. And 60% of your brain is fat. fat, yeah. So if you're worried about your weight and you're stripping fats out of your diet, then what you can expect to feel is that you start to feel a bit low and you feel anxious even oh yeah potentially anxiety is a very interesting one so anxiety for me number one if you've got anxiety get caffeine out of your life if you can just switch to a decaf caffeine generates the production of adrenaline that's what a stimulant does a stimulant is there to trigger adrenaline production and adrenaline is the thing that is driving anxiety so if you've got your own production of adrenaline because you're worried that's me at night time so when I go to bed I'm tired and I'm suddenly awake because I've started worrying that is an adrenaline reaction if I go to do a lecture or a talk and I'm very nervous the worst possible thing I could do is have a cup of coffee before because then I am out of control so it's knowing these little tools and if you like the flavor of coffee just go for a decaf you know I think the other thing with caffeine is we are so tuned into it helping our energy but actually what you're doing with caffeine is usually getting out of the cycle of your withdrawal from caffeine and again I'd say give it two or three days it's hard but you can do it especially for mums I think it's like you know the school gates I just did the drop off the Mm. chat is often like need a coffee have you had a coffee need a coffee so tired yeah it's like this seems to be the chat and then in the evening the chat will be about wine both of which are stimulants, right? Yeah, I mean, and well, alcohol's a depressant. Yeah, and the alcohol affects the microbiome. Yeah. Oh, it's such a shame because these things are lovely, and it's not saying you can't ever have them. It's about understanding how they could be influencing you if they've got a stronghold. If you look at what you're eating and drinking, you're thinking, do you know what? Actually, I'm having four or five coffees a day, and then I'm having a couple of glasses of wine in the evening. How would you not feel anxious if you're having that? To me, because I don't have. I mean, not that I'm evangelical, but I don't have coffee or alcohol simply because my mind 
would go insane. Yeah. Like when it did, I know what it yes, was like when yes, I was having. Yeah, it wasn't good yeah. for me at all. It's really difficult, especially if it's been part of your life for years. And remember, this is all new, This all this obsession with nutrition and well-being and well, stuff. we know so much now, don't yeah. we? We don't used to know any of this. Yeah. And now Google, you know, for and better or worse, know, we can get a lot of information absolutely. quickly. Yeah. You know, just making a few changes to just watching what you're eating, watching what you're drinking... And it is this, you know, what can I add in that's protein? What can I add in that's some natural fat here? What can I add in that's a plant food, some fibre? Whether that is just some cucumber or beetroot or... (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's that concept rather than I shouldn't be doing this. Just think, what can I add in? What I'm hearing through everything that we've talked about, Real Red Fred to me, is like a consciousness, like bringing Mm. an awareness to it and thinking, is this serving me? How Mm. do I feel... Mm. and how is what I'm eating hindering or helping absolutely and it's about nourishing you as the whole you and the whole person and sometimes I feel really fed up and tired and all I want is a muffin and a coffee now sometimes I'll go and have a muffin and a coffee and I'll feel good about that and I'll enjoy it and I'm certainly not going to waste that experience uh, by feeling bad about it enjoy it yeah yeah. and then let it go yes but what I will often do first is think to myself well look I know I'm feeling like that because I haven't had time for any lunch today because I've been working back to back put together something quick and easy have that and sometimes when I'm putting it together I'm thinking I don't even fancy this I don't want it I can see it looks nice but I don't want it but I know I'm hungry and we could talk about that in a second because that's really interesting learning if you're hungry or not but I eat it and as I start eating it I do think I am enjoying this this is nice actually and I'm also saying to myself but if I still want something afterwards I can have it and then before long you know I've had to rush out to get the boys from school I'm coming back and thinking actually I don't fancy that anymore I've had the time to digest what I'm hearing is like just putting some space between those cravings and then thinking a little more deeply well actually what does my body really need in this moment yeah Another thing that I might speak to clients about is this concept of stomach hunger and mouth hunger. I think that's a really useful tool. Mouth hunger is something that we generally respond to in our culture. Mouth hunger is, I just fancy something. I know I've got some chocolate in the cupboard. It's calling to me. It's going, ooh. But if I think to myself, I think, well, actually, do you know what? I've just eaten not long ago. I don't feel empty inside. I just want something. I fancy something. Whereas stomach hunger is when your tummy's rumbling and you look at your watch and think, God, it's been five hours since I ate. I am hungry. Now that's the sort of hunger we should be responding to. With a client, I'll often just say, start considering if your stomach hungry or mouth hungry. I don't give any further instructions. Yeah, the awareness just, just, does just the ha- job often, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. interesting. Okay, we talked about loads. Is there anything else before we close that you would want people particularly to know about that we haven't talked about anything that you found useful in your own busy life with three boys with a nutrition lens or I suppose the other one would be about I mean vegetables we haven't spoken about which is pretty amazing because I'm obsessed with vegetables and that kind of food so I think again thinking of the adding in rule say for example you're a lady and you've got hormonal problems PMS and all of that sort of stuff eating lots of vegetables especially vegetables like broccoli cauliflower cabbage brussels sprouts they contain wonderful plant chemicals in them that help you to manage your hormones effectively so they help with the metabolism of the hormone estrogen which can be a really really useful thing if you're suffering hormonally also 
all vegetables or plant-based foods, we do know now are very, very supportive for the gut microbiome or any sort of fibre. And because the gut is now becoming so mainstream and they are learning so much more, I was saying to you earlier, the more they're learning, the more they realise what they didn't know. They used to say, oh, it's like our second brain, but now they're saying, it's sort of like our first brain. Our guts are ruling us. Guts yeah. rule the world. Yeah, guts rule the world. And maybe I'll call the podcast that. <laughs> That's a good book. <laughs> Absolutely. It's really interesting. Yeah, it affects our serotonin level, our happy hormones, absolutely, our, absolutely everything. Absolutely, our food choices, as well as our genetics and stuff like that as well. So nutrition is not one size fits all. It could not be further from one size fits all. Genetically, we are all different. So genetically, we are all going to process our foods differently. We're going to have different levels of hunger and fullness. We are going to absorb differently. We're going to utilise the food that we eat differently. Then throw in the microbiome and you have got a whole new level of complexity going in, in terms of individualization. And really, you could argue that all of the big nutrition studies that have been done over the last 20, 30 years are in a way need to be re-looked at with factoring in the microbiome because well maybe we'll do a follow-up podcast on that because yeah. I could geek out yeah. about that yes. for a long time yeah. I'm very interested yeah yeah there's so much to say there really is there's mm. so much to say about it all well I always ask the same question at the end yes. which is if you could give just one gift to all the mums in the world what would it be and why okay I'm gonna go practical here now you can do all the self-care stuff you want There have been some nights where all I've wanted to do is walk out of my house and check into the travel lodge down the road and be in a quiet, dark, air-conditioned room with a comfortable bed with crisp, clean sheets that is just for me and me alone. I would like to say, can we have that gift but once a year? Is that possible? Yes, we will (laughs) gift that to all the mums in the world. And it doesn't have to be a flash hotel. Just a nice, yeah, I like quiet start. Travel lodge. It's achievable. Yes, exactly. Or oh, Premier Inn. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, <thank laughs> Let's you. go to town. <laughs> So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends, that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.